0: Hi, you're listening to the Talking Tough podcast, brought to you by Dr Martins and hosted by me, Georgia Moo, a model and a presenter from London. Over the past year, we've had to be tougher than ever. So we're back again to discuss stories of resilience with our guests, covering important topics such as the politics of gender and Black Lives Matter. We explore how our guests have got through tumultuous times. Hope you enjoy. We have Blaine Harrison. Blaine is most recognizable as the frontman of indie rock band The Mystery Jets, who kindly provided us with the talking tough jingle. After being forced to tour the UK in a wheelchair and realizing the lack of accessibility in many venues across the country, Blaine has since been vocal in raising awareness and bringing representation of disability to the music industry. Notably, his work with the charity Attitude is Everything has been impactful in improving accessibility in music venues and helping to provide opportunities within the industry. So, Blaine, welcome to Talking Tough.
1: Thank you, George. It's lovely to be here.
0: So, first things first, how are you? How are you dealing with the current situation?
1: Do you know what? I'm, I'm one of those annoying people who's actually... Um, quite enjoyed the the change of pace of lockdown. Um, I mean, I'm a songwriter, obviously, so I spend a lot of time um, in dark rooms or in isolation sort of writing anyway. So it's not that different to, to my sort of, uh general day-to-day life but um i'm having said that i'm certainly thankful that it looks like there's some some sort of um hope on the horizon you know what i am really excited about is that it seems like live music is coming back because obviously the music industry has taken such a hit this year you know um the whole entertainment industry and um we it looks like we've got a few festivals which are going to, going to be going ahead. And finally, our tour looks like it's going to be going ahead after being moved four times.
0: So bringing us on to music, um, I wanted to kind of start at the beginning of your musical career um, and ask, firstly, when did the Mystery Jets start? And did you always know that you wanted to be a musician?
1: Well, I can tell you when it started, it was... It was um, for christmas when i was a kid i think i was eight years old my dad bought me dark side of the moon by pink floyd on cassette tape and um we also watched the wall which was the which was the film based on their album um, on vhs and i just remember both those experiences completely blowing my child mind and i think instantly i felt there was this hidden world contained in music that i just needed to be a part of and um my birthday that year i got an old um, secondhand drum set and um, i started a band with my best friend will and we were called the misery jets to begin with so um mystery came a little bit later i'm actually dyslexic and i i misspelled Um, Misery on my drum kit I put a Y and then my dad had the genius idea of saying well why don't we just make it the Mystery Chats and um, the legend was born there
0: I love that name change, by the way. I thought it might have just been maybe as you uh, grew out of kind of teenage dumb that you were like, no more misery. Now we're just going to add some mystery to it instead. The sort of different applications as you go through, but um, that's actually a really, really sweet story. Um, There's a
1: few different myths about the name which which exist on the internet, but I can I can. Uh... I can give you the, the scoop that that's the real one. That's the true one.
0: Confirmation. You heard it here yes. first. Um, obviously you talked about your influences and how it started, but what kind of drew you into the industry? What was the the magic behind the mu- music? That was very cliche. Was the magic behind the music.
1: <laughs> makes total sense. It is, you know, it is magical. It's, it's. I think it's alchemy really music. We, no one really knows how it works, but I think, um, it's just so universal. And I, and I think when initially as a kid, what drew me to it was being in a, being in a room with my best friends, hitting the drums. I was a drummer initially um, and, you know, slamming two or three chords on the guitar, whatever I knew. And just that feeling of being part of something um, It's probably what I think what, what brings a lot of people to team sports. I mean, I've never been, I've never been um, a sporty person um, rather than, You know, rather than like kicking a football about the park with your dad on a Saturday, we'd, you know, we'd play guitars together. That was sort of my entrance into music. So initially that was very much the draw. It was this feeling of being part of just this exciting little world between you and your best friends. But then it wasn't till uh, we were signed and we were quite established by that point that I actually really started... Writing songs, you know, like finding the finding that sort of form of self-expression through songwriting. It was actually our second album, um, Twenty One, that I started really writing songs. And what I realised with songs is that it was it was another way of telling stories. It was a way of taking my experiences and taking experiences from people around me and from out in the world and making something new from those and telling stories which were partly based on truth, partly imaginary stories, but songs suddenly opened up this portal into a world where I could do that. Um, and, you know, and, and it's still to this day, it's, it's how I express myself.
0: So you said you express uh, what's going on in the world and take inspiration from the things around you and kind of part fantasy, part truth. Um, is that what happened with your latest album, the one that was kind of the proceeds going to the NHS? Was that very much a sign of the times?
1: Yeah. So so our most recent record, which came out in June, um, bang in the middle of the pandemic, actually, which is... Probably the worst time to re- release an album of all time. Um, worst or best? All, you never know. Best. Yeah, I mean, I suppose we had people's attention because there was there wasn't so much going on at that time. But um, obviously, it it was an album. It's, it's called A Billion Heartbeats, and it's an album which uh which we wrote during. I'd say it probably the writing process started in around 2017, ended in 2019. So obviously um, that was a very strange time politically. You know that was very sort of toxic political period. And during that time, I just I, I guess I found myself becoming much more politically switched on, um, and I was living right in in the middle of London. I was living in central London. As a property guardian so in a um, in an abandoned building and the building that i was living in was just off trafalgar square you know i started joining these protests and they sort of became uh i think my connection to the world and i i found that i could speak to people from completely different backgrounds i could hear the calls of people whose experiences um exist so far um from the realm of my own experiences. And I could learn about these issues in a way that the mainstream media doesn't teach you, you know, and the album is what came out from the other side of it. I think I'd always felt very cynical about politics, but that made me, I suppose that gave me an entrance into social justice, current affairs, in a in a much, much more, um, from a very different perspective, because it was through speaking to people and listening to um, people off the street, that's where my interest grew um, with a lot of these issues, you know.
0: Um, You touched on it earlier slightly, but would you mind just... um... Talking about how this year in particular has been, because it's it's been it's had a huge effect on the music industry.
1: It's been really really difficult. Um, it's been difficult for everybody, but I think for particularly in the creative sector, you know, where so many people are self-employed and not eligible for for grants and for furlough schemes, all these sorts of things, they've been hit so hard. And um, I think in a way, it's testament to um, people's resilience. They've, they've found other ways to survive. You know, I mean, particularly people working in uh, road crews and for venues, for promoters, things like that. You know, a lot of our team that we work with. Someone started a dog home. Um, Aki, our our sound tech, started a dog home. Our other sound tech, Tom, has opened a cheese stall. You know, um, and I, and I think that, like I said, I think that's that's a real testament to. Uh, like these creatively spirited people that we're very fortunate to work with. But that has come out of a really, really difficult year. And I think, you know, music venues were struggling anyway. Um, so many have been closing over the years and, and um, it's been really, really tough, the live sector. But I think as artists, to an extent, we're in a fortunate situation in that, you, you, you know, there's been more time to... I suppose look inward, and that's where songs come from. So, I, you know, have kind of tried to use this period to extract creativity in other ways. And one of the ways that we've done that is we we started a podcast this year. Um, <laughs> Good choice. Yeah. Highly recommend. Yeah, yeah. it's called Things We're Fighting For, and it's it's a it's a show about activism in which I got to meet writers, musicians, um, advocates, comedians, politicians, all sorts of different p- people um, in the, uh, who are using their voice to speak out about social justice. And it was also, it was another way of, in a way, of continuing the themes of the record because we weren't able to play the, the album live. I realised that The podcast was another way of exploring some of those conversations and those themes by getting into the trenches with people who are out there. Um, It was a really, really cool project. I felt very fortunate to be able to do.
0: I think, like you said, it's... um... The creative industries already were known for being a bit kind of tumultuous and fragile at the best of times. Um, And then, yeah, this year hit and uh, it has obviously been uh, completely tragic for a lot of people and has been unbelievably difficult. But like you said, what has kind of come out of it is, for me at least, the the joy in seeing how people uh, apply their creativity to new things and how they have kind of adapted in this time and have been pushed to really think outside of the box and outside of their usual. And I've seen that manifesting in so many ways. Um, So it's been very, very challenging, but like you said, I think looking at the kind of, I guess the positives of it, it's, it's been really lovely to see that and people's resilience, but that's, you know, not to take away from the
1: hardships because it's, it's been extremely, extremely tough um, on a lot. And I think with that, you know, being forced to, work in areas outside of your comfort zone, I think actually in some ways that's where the most powerful work comes from. And, you know, there's a, there's a David Bowie quote that I, that I love where he says, you know, if you're, if you feel safe in the area that you're working in, you're in the wrong place or always, always go a little further out into the water than you feel comfortable in. Um, and I love that because I think it's, it's in, it's in a place of uh, it's in, it's in those sort of new territories that I think you grow. And I think you make the most interesting work. That certainly feels true in, in, in my, you know, to my experiences. And as you said, I think we've, we've perhaps um, had to find other, other areas to sort of express ourselves in. And um, I, I, I feel like that's been a real positive for me.
0: That's such a lovely quote. I wish I was one of those people that could remember quotes off the top of their head, but that one is really, really applicable, I think, to the times. Um and will hope kind of, you know, provide a bit of hope as well, um, or a bit of yeah. reassurance to anyone who has been going through similar things. So I wanted to move on and, uh, discuss your disability, both within your life and also within the music industry. Um, so you were born with spina bifida, correct?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: How does that, um, impact your day-to-day life?
1: Well, I was born with spina bifida, so I, I walk with crutches. Like I mentioned earlier, I was never a particularly sporty kid. So, um, you know, I don't think, uh, I don't think it's been any kind of a tragedy for the world that I'm I'm not going to be a, a Premier League football or anything like that. I think it's, it, in a sense, it's a testament to the arts and to music that it's been kind of completely unimportant that I've got a disability. And I'd even go as, to far, as far as to say that the only times that I remember I have a disability is when other people remind me of it. And I think... I'm not the only disabled person that feels that way you know i i I definitely feel that um we all find our own ways to adapt with the situation you know that we're in and we all have our own uh coping mechanisms and it's so often it's it's the world that's disabling it's not actually um it's it's not your own outlook it's 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 the it's about inclusivity it's about accessibility it's about being invited into spaces that's really been my experience with it and um you know when i was starting out in music i didn't really talk about my disability at all i didn't want my disability to or the conversation around my disability to um overshadow the music and and you know the most important thing to me is music. That's always number one. But that changed slightly later on when I had to do a tour of the UK. This was, this was around the time of our second album, 21. And I had to do a tour of the UK in a wheelchair. Um, you mentioned it in your intro actually and that really changed my outlook on um, my, I suppose my relationship with my disability um, as a member of the music industry as an artist because I suddenly found that I was completely reliant on the help of other people and I'm a very I'm I'm normally a very sort of self-sufficient person um, but, but all of a sudden I, I relied completely on people helping me with my equipment to get me in and out of um, music venues in and out of the tour bus, um, to get actually, you know, up onto stage. And, you know, one, I can remember one particular night that was quite dramatic. Someone was pushing my wheelchair up onto the stage and actually tipped over and I sort of face planted on the stage, um, which is funny in retrospect. It wasn't funny at the time. And I realized if that's what it's like as an artist, imagine what it's like for an audience member, you know, cause I, I consider myself to be privileged and I use crutches. So there's a lot of spaces that I, I can get in and out of, but, um, I've got friends, um, who use wheelchairs or have, uh, you know, also people with hidden disabilities and everyone's situation is completely different. And, um, it was really at that point that I decided I wanted to use my voice to speak out about, about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I really like what you said about, um, how you aren't necessarily aware of, you know, your, your disability. It's more that other people make you aware. Um, Mm. because I think that's kind of oftentimes the case with, um, anyone who is quote unquote different. Um, it's usually, it's, it's obviously your norm and then you're made to feel different.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I like, I don't wake up in the morning and go, Oh, you know, here's another day of being disabled. It's just, it's my, life do you know what i mean it's like i laugh about it because it's just so preposterous it's just it's my life it's the way i am it's 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 my identity but then i'll go out onto you know go out into town go shopping whatever or um get in a taxi and people will say oh what happened oh you know why are you on crutches and it's only at that point that I, i i i sort of remember oh oh yeah of course like i'm I'm not the same as everyone else and it's really othering um, and I, I'm not easily upset but that that does wear you down, you know
0: I think that would wear anyone down um, yeah. do you ever make up any really preposterous <laughs> reasons for if people like what happened? you're like, just really play with people
1: <laughs> all the time, all the time Georgia um, yeah, like bizarre skiing accidents back, back flips on my BMX um yeah all sorts of things
0: again it's your your creativity coming out (laughs) in in other ways um so you mentioned a bit about yeah your disability within music and when you were touring um so I know that you work with the charity Attitudes Everything when did that work start was that after the tour after you realized this is something
1: that really needs to be addressed or was that before It was around that time. um, So Attitude is Everything is an organisation that's funded by the Arts Council, um, and I believe has some private funding from some wonderful um, kind souls out there as well. And really Attitude is Everything works with the the music industry, especially the live music sector, with audiences, promoters, um, agents, managers, booking agents, um, as well as artists, to improve deaf, or deaf and disabled people's access to live music. I actually, I met the founder of Attitude Is Everything, my lovely friend, Suzanne Bull, um, OBE, or MBE, Suzanne Bull now. Yeah, she's incredible. She's she's Amazing. one of the most inspiring people um, in, my, in my life. And um, we met on the disabled platform of a Radiohead concert in London. <laughs> And she came up to me and she she just gave me a flyer and she said, would you like to come to one of these, one of these accessible shows that Astute as she does everything puts on this would have been quite near the start of, of, uh, when the charity was founded. And I got the flyer and I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to come along. And I said, I've also got a band and I gave her a flyer for the band. And I said, well, maybe we could come and play and right there. And then she said, well, why don't you come and play at this show? And we did. And um, it was absolutely unlike any show that we'd ever done. You know, it was it was step-free access to get into the room, um, to get into the venue, there was a lift. The, there was an accessible bar. There was a hearing loop for the hard of hearing. Um, there was someone. There was someone doing signing, doing sign language on the on the side of the stage. So we had to print out all our lyrics beforehand and, and hand them over. And um, the dance floor was full. It was people in wheelchairs like smashing into each other, spilling drinks all over the place. And I just thought, you know what? This is what all gigs should be like. Or even even I'd go even further to say that. We shouldn't have to have spaces which are specifically for people with disabilities to enjoy music. This is what all music venues should um, encourage. It's what the, all, all music venues should be spaces accessible to these people. I mean, one in five people in the UK, I believe is the statistic, identify as having a disability. Now, when you look at that from The spending power, if you look at that from a sort of, um, you know, a a consumer perspective, that's a huge economy there that's waiting. um, And that should be incentivizing the, you know, the events industry. And I think they're starting to twig that and things are starting to change. But Attitude Is Everything um, are at the forefront of that change. And it was after after playing that show um, for Suzanne at the charity that I said, look, how can I help? um um, i mean you know we we were kind of an unknown band at that point but our relationship's grown and over 15 years um i became an ambassador and um i speak at a lot of events for attitude you know um and it's it's a really big part of my work
0: yeah, it's, I mean, speaking about that accessible show, is, it's so important, and I think it's only something that if you attend a show like that, 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 that as someone who's able-bodied then realises how uh, privileged I am in that I don't have to think about a lot of things um, when I'm attending shows. That's really, yeah, that's and that, really amazing. That's not,
1: that's not unusual, Georgia, because, no. you know, a, a lot of artists that I speak to about Attitude Is Everything, you know, they've perhaps heard about it, and they say, oh, you know, like, how how can we be more, um, involved in this? And, and I think for a lot of artists, they don't necessarily, um, it's not a case of not wanting to be part of this change. It's just not necessarily being aware that, that those audiences are out there, you know, with Attitude is Everything, that's one of the things that, the organization does is working with promoters, um, audiences, and artists to try and explain what the magic of a, of a completely accessible show looks like, from little small grassroots ven- grassroots venues to you know main stages at festivals. I, I, I'm just really hoping that the music industry's taken this chance to listen to these conversations, to uh, get educated on this, to, to increase awareness around it. And, you know, in a way, it's a chance to to open the industry back up in a way that it's never been so open before. And, you know, I I would never want to sort of scrutinise the music industry because it's as we as as we've discussed, it's had a pretty rough ride itself with so many venues closing. But here is a chance to um, to look at the reopening up of, of our industry in a whole new way, in an inclusive way.
0: kind of um, hope and like you said acknowledging where, how far the music industry has already come and uh, the excitement that it looks like it's going to continue how would you say that the music industry can continue um, this journey of inclusivity
1: um, I mean I think accessibility is is often an afterthought um, with venues and promoters I, I would love to see artists offered so for example when you're a touring artist you're you're offered a rider so when you play a venue you know they say do you want hummus do you want like you know locally sourced ales whatever it is What yeah. i yeah do you know what i mean what i'd love to be asked is what your accessibility rider is so is that and this doesn't this doesn't exist yet but i'd, I'd love there for there to be a protocol where venues um it where it's mandatory for venues to send you an accessibility writer and it's as simple as ticking a box just saying you know i i have anxiety issues or um learning difficulties or someone in our crew, some, you know, like a member of the band has these specific needs, X, Y, and Z. And so those needs can be catered for without having to have that awkward conversation. We need to see more people in the public eye that look like us to make those spaces feel accessible to people from um, marginal backgrounds, you know? And I think um, the music industry, the entertainment industry aren't necessarily areas which uh, reward excellence when it comes to people with disabilities you know disability isn't deemed beautiful it's deemed as something deserving of 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 empathy and pity but you know disabled people don't want sympathy they want the world to change so they don't need to be defiant um, or reminded of it every day
0: I think it's it it is like you said it's it's not demanding that pity or that if, if someone's not wanting
1: more attention, it's, it's like just normalizing, um, to that's it. That's it. You know, cause the the end goal is that we don't need to talk about it. We don't need to talk about it at all. And, um, you know, in a way it's, it's, it's easier for me to sit here, you know, someone further into my career to, to say, you know, I, I feel like, Um, my industry accepts me for the way I am. But if it was Blaine 15 years ago, breaking into music, it felt incredibly stigmatized. Um, And I'm not just saying that's because the times have changed. I'm saying that at the the beginning of your career, you you don't have the power to influence. You don't have the power to change the conversation or influence the conversation. Um, It's not until you get a seat at that table that you can start to clear space for other people so i think if if there's anything that's part of you know the mystery jet's mission statement it's that it's it's creating space for the next generation the next wave of artists um who don't resemble society's traditional view of beauty to come forward and to not have to break through all those barriers that we've been trying to break through over the years it's, you know like when was the last time you saw a Brit award or Grammy award accepted by someone on crutches or in a wheelchair um, or with a white cane, you know, like that needs to change. We need to make those spaces accessible.
0: So when do you feel at your toughest?
1: Um, Tough, Tough is a difficult one for me because I think, if anything, being vulnerable is more important than being tough. I think it's more of a challenge than being tough. I think, you know, life makes you hard without trying. I think the most important thing is to stay open, to stay fluid um, and in touch with the world around you, especially as an artist, you know, because that's where that's where the songs come from. Um, and especially as a male artist in this culture. Um, but I think toughness, um, in a broader sense is about bouncing back. I think it's about not allowing yourself to be stopped. I think it's about resilience. I think it's about, um, you know, like we were saying about fighting your way to get a seat at the table and then creating space for other people to come through, um, and, you know, just being defiant. I think being, being defiant is really, really important. So that's what toughness means to me.
0: And uh, where can people find you? And do you have anything exciting in the pipeline?
1: Uh, so I'm on Twitter and Instagram for all my sins. So on Twitter, I'm Blaine Harrison and on Instagram, I'm Instagram Parsons. In terms of projects, kind of lots going on. We we just brought out, uh, I suppose like our pandemic album, like our, sorry, like our lockdown album, which is called Home Protests. And that came out um, a couple of weeks ago. So that was really cool. And then I'm also working on a book project and a new Mystery Jets album. So, yeah. And then, you know, I'm just looking forward to playing some shows, really.
0: Love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, this was such a wonderful and insightful conversation.
1: Amazing. Well, yeah, likewise, George. I've I've really enjoyed, you know, so many of these, so many of these themes, these conversations don't get talked about enough. And I I feel really thankful for, you know, having the airtime uh, to speak about it with you. I've really enjoyed it.